0: Hey there, if you're listening to this and you support us on Patreon, you can hear it via the Patreon page and free You're listening to Sound Opinions, and this week we'll be sharing our favorite tracks that get their names from women. And we've got some good ones. I'm Jim DeRogatis.
1: And I'm Greg Cott. Later we'll say farewell to Timmy Thomas, but first let's
0: hear from a Ukrainian musician holding it down in Kyiv. Greg, it's an incredible story. Serge Tagny Rodno is a member of an eleven-piece Chicago cover band. They tour the world, playing the music of Chicago. They're supposed—they were supposed to be in America, mm-hmm. uh, starting in April. Uh, obviously, that's not happening now. His fellow musicians are spread throughout Eastern Europe. There are members in Belarus, uh, Moldova, uh, Ukraine, where he is, and and Russia. Serge. Uh, was coming to us from his apartment uh, in Kiev. He has sent his family, uh, his children, his wife and the dog, to Poland, where they are safe. But he feels it's important to stay in Ukraine and make music every day on Facebook. And we started by asking him about why.
2: Well, because, well, making music is everything that I do in my life. I don't have any hobbies or other things that I do. And the making of music connects me to the world outside and I can spread the information what's going on here in Ukraine to people to get involved, make them aware of what's going on.
1: Serge, you, you uh, chose to record uh, Lou Reed's Perfect Day in, uh, and releasing it in segments day by day, little, little pieces of it. What inspired that idea and why that song in particular? <laughs>
2: Second day of war, when uh, my family still uh, was here in my apartment, we've been spending our nights in the corridor, or my youngest son was in the bathroom, sleeping in the bathroom. And, you know, we've spent the nights by hearing all these explosions, and everything is uncertain what it was, uh, what exploded. And... In most of the shelling being in the nighttime, so probably after 3 a.m. till 5 or 6. And when the sun started to rise up, in most of the days, the shellings were stopping. And, well, if I saw that it's already bright <laughs> in my window, uh, I see the light that probably I understood that well, okay, probably we will survive this next day. And a lot of people sent me private messages and, uh, on a Facebook, on Instagram, and I couldn't tell everybody that I'm fine. But I, of course, I understood that people are worried what's going on. So I started to post just a few lines of this song each day uh, to say to everybody that, okay, I'm, I'm fine, I'm alive. Well, it's good day, perfect day, and this song came to my mind, and I just started to do that. Oh, it's such a perfect day, I'm glad I spent it with you. Such a perfect day, you just keep
0: well, of course, of course, uh, Serge, the song ends with Blue Reed singing, you'll reap what you sow. Yeah. <laughs> Which mm. seems like a message that the leader of Russia needs to hear.
2: Yeah. And, and for all people, of course, because, you know, you're always receiving uh, the thing that you are giving to the world. If you're spreading love and uh, good things, you will receive it in return. But if you are spreading war and kill somebody, probably you will have the same things in return You're going to just
0: obviously greg we wish serge and his You're bandmates and everyone in ukraine the very best there's a lot more of our conversation with serge togny rodno and some discussion of the other ukrainian musicians who are uh, trying to keep in touch with the world and and make us aware of the situation in that war torn country through their music on our bonus podcast please give it a listen I can't believe it Mr. God that in our many years of doing sound opinions our many list shows we have never done one about the countless great songs uh, about women who are at the center of them, and in the title, uh, this was Soul's idea. Our associate producer, Soul Delgadillo, and you know, March was Women's History Month. Not that we get hung up <laughs> on artificial news pegs, but it, you know, it just seemed like, hey, this will be fun. There's no doubt that we
1: have a long history of this. I mean. You know, you're growing up, and and you were either a jock or or an artiste, right? You were the guy in the rock band, you know. Well, you were it's, both, apparently. You, but well, well, I never played in a rock band. I, I yeah. <laughs> messed around with music, but I didn't play in a band. But I mean, guys would would get into in, into bands, and and what was their primary vote motivation at the time? It wasn't about you know making selling millions of records. It was about attracting members of the opposite sex. Right? Yeah, you had. I mean, you
0: hopefully, yeah, it never really worked for yeah. me. But.
1: Yeah, and, and uh, the the point is that uh, it has been an obsession uh, in musical history for uh, a century, really, and. Uh, it's an obsession on steroids in the, in the rock era, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, so we're going to pick some of our favorites. We're going to turn to our uh, production staff as well. You're leading us off. What are you starting with? I am, Jim. Uh, I want to start out with a song by uh, a band
1: called Shocking Blue. Uh, this was a band from uh, a Dutch band, and they had a huge single in 1969 with the, the track called Venus. The lead vocals were performed by a woman, Mariska Veras, and... Uh, It was kind of an androgynous vocal sound, you know? Was it a man, was it a woman singing the song? Which made it even more intriguing to young Greg when he he first heard the song. (laughs) But it's super catchy from that opening riff. It's based on a melody by a a, a folk group known as the the Big Three. They were a folk trio that included Cass Elliot in the 60s. The song was called the Banjo Song, okay? That's the melody of the song. The lyrics were written by the uh, guitarist in the Dutch band Shocking Blue, Robbie Van Leeuwen. Um, he turned it into this um, homage to this woman, this, this kind of a goddess on a mountaintop, you know? And uh, the fact that it then turned it over to the female lead singer in the band, Mariska Averis, uh was indicative of, of, of what was going on here. This was a song about female empowerment. Before, that was sort of a thing in popular music. Now to me the song crossed my radar again because I like uh, most of the rest of the planet was a huge fan of The Queen's Gambit on Netflix right mm. Oh yeah and there's a scene in in the series where Anya t- Taylor-Joy who who plays the lead t- character becomes Venus she's drunk and she's you know <laughs> uh, you know sort of in a in a moody place and then she's celebrating when she's seeing the song performed on TV dancing along singing the lyrics uh, at the top of her lungs uh, and and making a a celebration out of it. Her ability to thrive in a male-dominated field like chess paralleled what we're talking about in the song, making every man a mess, Venus. (laughs) She knew what she was talking about, and uh, it was adopted by this uh, wonderful character in The Queen's Gambit. This is Venus from Shocking Blue on Sound of Venus.
0: Big's first pick about a great song with a woman in the title and at the center of the tune, Venus uh, by Shocking Blue. You know, my first pick is is similar in terms of being a uh, really inspiring, rousing track. I could picture Anya Taylor-Joy dancing around to this one, too, Gloria. Um, You know, if you're talking about great pop songs with Gloria in the title, you know, there's another Gloria, but... uh, Van Morrison these days, I don't know. I didn't want to go there, and Patti Smith's uh, too obvious. Uh, what about Laura Branigan's Gloria? I was unaware of the history. I've always loved this song, right? I was a big fan of those Giorgio Moroda synthesizers on all the Donna Summer songs. And uh, clearly, in the disco era in 1979, um, you know, this was uh, in that mold, right? Mm-hmm. Who was Laura Branigan? How did she find this song? What a fascinating... History this tune had it was written by two Italian composers, translated into English by Jonathan King. Do you know that name? No, I don't. King, King is one of these guys who's been throughout the English uh, pop music uh, scene. Th- since the 60s he first had a hit himself with everyone's gone to the moon mm-hmm. uh you know a really cheesy song then he helped like uh get genesis mm. uh a, a record deal and then you know he's just been one of those guys who's zelig like popped up throughout so in 79 he translates this italian song laura brannigan's uh record company says you should do this uh the lyrics are different in the Italian. It's more of a romantic song. Laura Brannigan uh, and her producers turn it into the tale of, as Brannigan said, a girl that's running too fast for her mm. own good. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a cautionary tale in the form of this rousing anthem. Mm-hmm. You listen to the lyrics or, or examine the lyrics, and they're different than what the music is saying. Uh, feel your innocence slipping away. Don't believe it's coming back soon. Mm. Uh, wow. Are there voices in your head calling Gloria? I, I've always loved this track. It is a little cheesy. Uh, it has a sad ending. Um, uh, dead uh, way before her time, Laura Branigan in 2004 from an undiagnosed cerebral aneurysm. Mm. But, man, you know, if you're going to have one song that makes it to number two in the top ten, this is a great contender. Mm -hmm. So, Laura Branigan, Gloria.
3: Gloria.
1: That is Laura Branigan with Gloria, one of our great songs with a woman's name in the title. Coming up, more songs named after women. That's in a minute
0: on Sound Opinions. And we are back. This week we're sharing some of our favorite songs that get their names from women. Let's kick things over to Sound Opinions associate producer Sol Delgadillo to hear their pick. Sol, what do you got?
4: So I chose Leah by a band called Sing Double. Um, They're a band with twin sisters from New York, hence the name Sing Double. Um, Mm. I found them through my TikTok for you page where they uh, (laughs) posted videos with the tactic of brushing our teeth on TikTok until our song goes viral. Um, (laughs) Wow. And so some people have, like, duetted some of their videos doing the exact same thing and continuing the trend, like, oh, brushing my teeth to my current favorite song. And I don't know how it's worked, but it has. Um, And I'm not sure about it being as viral as, like, an Olivia Rodrigo blow-up, but it could definitely Mm. be something that could blow up. Um, They only have, like, 10K followers on TikTok, a couple hundred on Twitter. Um, So they're well on their way with only having this song Leah and a B-side to Leah which is called Don't Wait. So Leah has those witchy lyrics that you would hear on a Stevie Nicks song and the same kind of harmonies that you would hear on like an ABBA song so and there's been that you know resurgence of like people trying to put disco and like 80s elements into their songs now so it's almost like a breath of fresh air to hear 70s elements um in songs that are being put out by people that are in their early 20s like me.
5: Just keep on
1: That is a little bit of Leah from Seeing Double. Thank you, Soul, for that pick. Um, you know, that, when you uh, mentioned that uh, song title Leah, I was thinking of the Donny Iris song. There was a huge hit that he had decades ago called I don't Leah. Know do you that remember that one. song? No, I don't. And then Roy Orbison had a song called Leah. I mean, this huh. is like a name that keeps resurfacing every decade or so Okay. as a, as a song title. So uh, Soul is right on with that. Uh, Alex, our producer, Alex Claiborne, is next. Alex, what do you got for us?
6: So, the uh, song that has a woman's name in the title or is about a woman that I chose was Emmy Lou by First Aid Kit. And this is a song that came out in 2012. And First Aid Kit is a Swedish duo. And uh, the song is about Emmy Lou Harris. It is like in tribute to her. And a lot of the song is kind of how they, the two members of the band, kind of are looking for that person to have. A life with, like, you know, Emmylou Harris and Graham Parsons, or they also Mm. mention um, June and Johnny Cash. But this is just a song that has such beautiful harmonies, and they actually performed this song live for Emmylou Harris um, a few years ago (laughs) uh, for the Polar Music Prize. She was, like, a laureate for that um, in Stockholm, and so... If you look up that video on YouTube, it's really beautiful to see her kind of seeing the song performed live and it really touched her. And I think Emmy Lou sometimes gets a little bit undervalued and she doesn't get as much love as some of her mm. counterparts of the era, like Dolly Parton or Linda Ronstadt or even Bonnie Raitt. And so it's nice to um, give a little love to Emmy Lou Harris. I feel like we don't mm. really talk about her on the show very much, but um, this is the song Emmy Lou by First Aid Kit.
0: Well now, wait a minute, Alex. You're a producer. Why don't you get Emmy Lou? We would Greg and I'd be happy to chat with Emmy Lou. She's great.
6: Cool. Well I'll get on it then. I'll... All right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is uh first aid kid, Emmy Lou. What a what a good story and a great song. Thank you, Alex. Um Greg, it's my turn again and uh Thinking about uh, women's names in popular music, I mean, I got to talk about Roxanne. Sure. And the infamous Roxanne Wars. Mm -hmm. If you don't know, uh, in the early days of hip-hop... Uh, 1984, the trio UTFO uh, records a song that goes nowhere, but the B-side takes off. Roxanne, Roxanne. Mm-hmm. And it's basically a couple of guys complaining about not getting any love from this woman named Roxanne. Um, a 14-year-old old burgeoning hip-hop fan uh, living in the New York City housing projects, hears this being played, the UTFO track, you know, in the playground. I mean, hip-hop starts in the playgrounds and the basketball courts of of New York (laughs) City. Uh, Lolita Shantae Gooden hears this song and decides, I have an answer to that. And working with Mm. the great Marley Marl. Producing, she adopts the name Roxanne Chante. Mm-hmm. She records uh, Roxanne's Revenge, an answer song to U.T.F.O. This opens the floodgates. U.T.F.O. responds, and then all sorts of other aspiring hip hop artists record Roxanne songs. Uh, you think I'm making this up? Google Mm -hmm. Roxanne Wars for my money uh, Roxanne's Revenge was a better track than the original Roxanne Roxanne and better than any of the answer songs It is full of attitude you know, she, she's not focusing on, you know, hey, guys, of course, I'm not giving you any time. She's focusing on, hey, guys, I'm a better rapper than you, <laughs> right? And, you know, at a time when there were not a lot of women's voices in hip hop, uh, this little precocious teenager uh, really said, hey, move over. There is room for women in mm. this art form. So here is Roxanne's Revenge by the great Roxanne Shanté.
5: Well, my name is Roxanne. Uh, don't you know I just a cold rocker party and I do this show. I said I met these three guys and you know it's true. Uh, let me tell you and explain them all to you. I met this dude with the name of a hat. I didn't even walk away. I didn't give him no rap. But then he got real mad and he got a little tired. If he worked for me, you know he would be fired. He wears a Kangol and that is cute. But he ain't got the money and he ain't got the and every time that I see him, he's always a beggar And all the other girls that he's always trying to
0: like it. every time. Roxanne's every Revenge I'd love to see, like, a documentary about the Roxanne Wars, wouldn't you? Well, there's so many songs that yeah. sort of spun
1: off from that particular Dozens. track Amazing. It's been
0: said that there's never been more answer songs in the history of pop music And I don't know how you prove that, but I don't know how you disprove it
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a big, huge slice of rap history Especially in, from the 80s, obviously Um, Yeah, great stuff. And talk about a song with a history. Dolly Parton's Jolene, I think, belongs in this discussion, Jim. We talked about Dolly uh, recently about her new album coming Mm -hmm. out, right? And um, naturally, Jolene uh, comes to mind because it's a song that, uh, you know, if if you put Dolly on the spot, she'll she'll probably tell you it's it's her greatest song or the one that, that that is more most associated with her. And you could argue with her about that, but I wouldn't want to argue with Dolly about no, it. You I, know? I wouldn't argue with Dolly about anything. <laughs> and, she, and, and like with many of her songs, it's based on uh, you know a real- life incident. Um, she got married to her husband, to whom she's still married Carl Dean in, in, in 1966. And soon after, she tells the story that there was this bank teller who started flirting with Carl. <laughs> and she wasn't too happy about it. She wrote a song sort of inspired by that moment. Uh, the bank teller was a, a pretty woman, a, a redhead. Uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the details of that day uh, are reflected back in this song. Um, she turns it into sort of a desperate plea. She's, uh, she's making an appeal to Jolene. Please, please don't take my man away from me. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, it's unclear. There's an ambiguity in the song. Um, is Jolene as interested in her husband as her husband is interested in Jolene? Mm. That's what the implication of the song is. It's never quite clear. And I think that little bit of ambiguity has contributed to the song's resonance over the years. I mean, there's been a ton of covers of the song. Uh, the White Stripes, for example, did their own version of the song, yeah. singing it uh, you know, with a male lead singer, uh, you know, uh, singing about Jolene. Um, so it's resonated over the years. She also says that she wrote Jolene on the same day as I Will Always Love You. Wow. You know, she like wrote two of her biggest songs. That's a good day. Was, that was a good day. Yeah. <laughs> Here's Jolene from Dolly Parton on Sound Opinions.
5: And I can easily understand how you could easily take my man, but you don't know what he means.
0: Jolene, Jolene, leave wow. my man alone. Did you ever do that thing where you play it at uh, slow speed and it sounds like a death metal track? <laughs> that was, I have not. It was a uh, meme. It was a meme a while back yeah. uh, and a fun one. Um, Greg, I'm going to my uh, oft-mentioned uh, formative days at Maxwell's in Hoboken in the indie rock 80s. Uh, but I'm playing a band from Boston. The legendary garage rock band The Liars, uh, led by one Jeff Connolly, a fantastic frontman, uh, wild man, great vocalist, mm. uh, tethered the entire time to a Vox Continental organ. Yeah, all right. In the tradition of the Chesterfield Kings and a lot of those garage rock revival bands. Of the '80s, the Vipers in New York, uh, the Liars uh, were great songwriters steeped in that Nuggets aesthetic of mid '60s psychedelic, raw proto-punk rock, and um, they had a couple of songs that were were you know uh, touchstones to college radio. Uh, none more beloved than "Help You, Ann." Uh, help you, and You know, if you if you listen to what Jeff is singing about, it, it's a nasty song. Mm-hmm. Uh, a man is mistreating Anne, uh, and uh, Jeff is uh, fantasizing killing him, uh, but not for entirely uh, pure reasons, because he wants Anne all to himself. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Anne needs this kind of help from any man, right. <laughs> uh, but what a fantastic song. And I knew I had a friend uh, in the fanzine days uh, named Anne in Minneapolis, so it always made me think of her. The Liars help you in. The Liars Help You In, and that, of course, is Liars, L-Y-R-E-S. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I take that for granted, because On Fire, their first studio album that gave us Help You In, has that wonderful picture of the uh, uh, that instrument, the lyre of antiquity, on fire, mm-hmm. bursting into flames. Right. Yeah, the Liars Jim. I love that band. I love the
1: Vox Continental organ sound. You pretty much can put that uh, on any track and I'm going to love
0: at least some of it. Yeah. I
4: personally am impartial <laughs> to, to the, the Farfisa. Farfisa, yeah. No, I am in debate have, about that. But, but yeah. I have that that
0: yeah. 80s Farfisa the new wave one mm-hmm. uh that the B52s and the Flesh tones used, but uh I digress. Well, well, there's no
1: vox or or farfisa on this next track, but it's an awesome track, and nonetheless. De La Soul with Millie pulled a pistol on Santa. What a song! To oh have. man, I know. This was the follow-up. This album, uh, De La Soul is Dead, that followed up their 1989 debut, Three Feet High and Rising, which was considered a little bit fluffy for some hip-hop aficionados. You Psychedelic know? It wasn't, wasn't hard enough, you know. Yeah, amazing record. Uh, they're 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 completely off base on that, but I think. Uh, Della Soul felt like they needed to respond to that criticism and made a very hard-edged record next. Uh, Full of street tales, full of uh, the brutality of of modern life in a lot of ways. This this track being a a very good example of that. Uh, Millie is a girl being sexually abused by her father. This is the tale of this young lady. Her complaints are ignored because you know her dad's a pillar of the community he can he's yeah. he's a big shot he's 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 basically not you know um, going to be taken down by these claims so she's run out of options um, and, and she takes matters into her own hands she ends up killing her dad while he's working as a department store at Santa Claus yeah. and i'm going what a what a tale i mean it, you know the narrative is amazing the way it's it's told you feel for what's happening here uh, it's a shocking ending to the song, and at the same time, Millie's kind of heroic because she, she essentially saved her life by taking another. Um, and in this case, you can totally understand why she would do that. Uh, an amazing song that, to me, you know, it still haunts me to this day. Every time I hear yeah. it, I, you know, you can't help it. But she's, like, wow, that was that was a, an amazing piece of writing. Millie pulled a pistol on Santa from Dylan Soul on Sound Opinions. Oh, man.
2: Macy's department store the scene for Santa's kisses And all the little rats demanding all their wishes Time passes by as I wait for my younger brother He asks his wish, I waste no time to return him back to mother As I'm jetting, Millie floats in like a zombie I ask her, what's her problem? All she says is, where is he? I give a point, she pulls a pistol, people screaming She shouts the deal, he's off to hell cause he's a demon None of the kids could understand what was the cause All they could see was a girl holding a pistol and claws Dylan pleaded mercy, said he didn't mean to. Do all the things that hurt my foot, do nothing but cling to. Millie bucked them and with the quickness, it was over. It's over, it's over.
0: De La Soul, Millie Pulled a Pistol on Santa, um, you know, really proving that group, Greg, uh, that it was never just about the Daisy Age, y'all. There were many aspects to De La Soul. When we come back, we'll wrap up our playlist of tracks whose namesakes are women, and we'll bid farewell to Timmy Thomas. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions. And we're back. This week,
1: we're sharing some of our favorite songs named after women. Now let's go to our production intern, Mary Bernthal, to hear what she's got to say. Mary, you're up. Hey,
5: everyone. My song named after a woman pick is Brittany Howard's Georgia off her 2019 album, Jamie, which is also named after a woman. So it's a bit of a double whammy there. Um, I've been a huge Brittany Howard fan since I started listening to Alabama Shakes in like the 10th grade. So I'm super excited for Brittany's solo album. And it didn't disappoint whatsoever um so georgia is this repetitive track that immediately draws you into the world that howard has created about this pining love that she has for georgia and it creates this almost obsessive and like all-consuming environment that's extremely relatable for anyone who's ever been unable to get someone that they have feelings for out of their head which i think is most of us and besides just like the universal relatability of the lyrics and of the song i think the best thing about Georgia is its ending. It just builds and builds and builds and builds and builds to this explosive conclusion of passion from Britney's voice and these, like, biting synths and fuzzy guitars that are just perfectly mixed, and it's it's absolutely killer, and I love it so much. Um, this is Georgia.
0: Well said, Mary. Georgia by Britney Howard. Georgia
5: I think if I got you
0: Pick for Mary Bernthal. Now we have our producer Andrew Gill. Andrew, I know where you're going. I'm excited about <laughs> What's it. What's
3: up, guys? Um, I I wanted to uh, make sure that I get a certain band into this uh, '90s reevaluation of indie rock. You know, I feel like they're getting mm-hmm. overlooked a little bit. Unrest, like there was a yeah. there was mm-hmm. a minute when I was in elementary school when they were like the coolest band in the indie rock world, right? Is it You guys can attest?
0: Up there with like Super Chunk, for yeah, sure. Yeah,
3: yeah. Um, this is a song off of their 1993 album, Perfect Teeth, called Kath Carol, which I remember mm-hmm. hearing when I was, you know, uh, probably a freshman in high school. And I was like, oh, wow, Kath Carol. I don't know who that is, but um, it sounds like a really cool person. The, the music is, <laughs> I mean, unrest music, like they have this sound that's like this jangle hyperkinetic kind of indie rock that's very simple, but uh, very catchy. And as I learned uh, researching this track for to record today, Full of like underground insider references, right? So, yes, they mm -hmm. were big on on name dropping. Yes, so now I finally know who Kath Carroll is, right? So, um, well, Greg and I both talked to Kath (laughs) Carroll when she
0: was living in Chicago. She's an English musician, right, Greg? Right,
3: she's from England. Yeah,
0: and uh, but but did some time in Chicago in the 90s and uh, just a fascinating artist.
3: Yeah, so she came up in Manchester in England, uh, writing a fanzine called City Fun. Mm And she was on that um enemy C eighty six compilation. Her band mm-hmm. Meow was on that. Um and so they even they put out some um singles on Factory Records, which the lyrics in this song are just basically the song is like Mark Robinson of Unrest just like fanning out over Kath Carroll because she was mm-hmm. this like indie it girl kind of, I guess, you know,
0: like yeah. She, she, and she was a little freaked out about it back in the day. Oh, yeah, yeah yes, she,
3: she was <laughs> very freaked out. Yes. She had she didn't know him. She didn't know him from Adam, right? But he was just this right. obsessive fan that wrote this song about how she's the mm-hmm. coolest person on earth basically. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and it put her put her on the album cover, yeah. a picture of her yeah, so Robert <laughs> Robert <laughs> it's like that's a little weird, a man. A Robert
3: Maplethorpe <laughs> portrait of her too yeah. actually. Wow. Yeah, so uh so they put this song out and uh they they toured to Chicago when she was living here and tried yeah. to get her to open for them, but she was too freaked out and she wouldn't apparently in like <laughs> yeah. 1993, yeah. but uh, you know, it has a happy ending because a few you know months later, she actually did meet Mark Robinson, and he signed her to his label, Teen Beat Records, and she put out a couple of albums there with them. Go. So she, it, it all turned out well. He wasn't a creepy stalker. Uh, the attention yeah, was right. he was, a true was on fan. the right side yeah. of things. So um, so you can all rest assured uh, it's not that type of situation. Um, but yeah. Well, it's got a killer chorus, It's a great dude. song. Uh, and the lyric, uh, FAC 179. That is the Factory Records.
0: Catalog number. Yeah, that her band put out. <laughs>
3: that is one of the lyrics in the song. As well as uh, wow. the pen name she used when she wrote for the NME Myrna Minkoff, uh,
0: that's also a, ly- a lyric in here, so I think you're going down that same rabbit hole that swallowed unrest. <laughs> you can yeah, go so deep go. on
3: this, yeah, there's a lot yeah, to you uncover. Can, and you are, he is, he is, It's very deep. <laughs> it's right like now. the opposite of my last pick, pavement where the lyrics didn't mean anything, these lyrics are all <laughs> yeah. insider references. So, Kath Carroll by Unrest from Perfect Teeth.
1: That is Kath Carroll from Unrest. Thank you, Andrew. Great pick. Uh, we all knew Kath back in the day, and yeah, she's yeah, recovered right. from that
0: moment, and we're happy for that. Jim, you are up next. I am, uh, Greg, and uh, this this pick came courtesy of uh, producer Andrew Gill as well. He said, well, you got to do Josephine by Magnetic Fields. Now, I have never been a huge Magnetic Fields fan. I I really wasn't aware of them before 69 Love Songs, that 1999 triple album, and I thought that was just way too much Mm -hmm. Stephen Merritt for me, okay? Uh, But uh, before the Stephen Merritt-dominated Magnetic Fields, it was more of a group or at least a a two-piece collaboration. Merritt and Susan... Anway, uh, who was the voice uh, on the first two Magnetic Fields albums. Uh, Tragically, uh, she died in in 2021. Um, So I've gone back and really dug into those uh, first two Magnetic Fields albums, which I find I like much more, Uh, and Merritt has said in interviews uh, that he was trying to make, especially with the debut, Distant Plastic Trees in 91, a uh, Young Marble Giants Mm -hmm. record, and I was a huge Young Marble Giants fan. Anyway, I'm also a uh, devoted uh, student of Napoleonic history. (laughs) And uh, one of the great romances in, uh, in the annals of military history is when Napoleon, fell in love uh, with Josephine de Beauharnais. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was older than him. She'd already been married. His family didn't approve of this marriage, and yet it seemed to be true love. I've read, you know, a couple dozen (laughs) books about Napoleonic history, and the love letters Napoleon would write to Josephine, who was a little bit like, she knew he was rising, you Mm -hmm. know, this is before he became a military hero, before he became emperor. You know, she she said, okay, this might be a good ticket, basically, right? It was a marriage, (laughs) it became a marriage of convenience because when he went on campaign, she began to uh, dally with a young hussar. Uh, Anyway, that's way too much Napoleonic history. This is, in contrast, uh, a love song about an idealized love, I think, because it's not just historical. If I were Napoleon, you could be my Josephine. We could go to drive-in films in my red convertible weren't no convertibles in the 1790s <laughs> uh, uh, but but the idea of this kind of um, uh, idealization uh, living out in Corsica in our summer cottages mm-hmm. well that's its everybody desires a perfect love and I think this is a song that Susan Anway gives uh, gives voice to that, that that search for the perfect love magnetic fields Josephine
2: you could be my Josephine. We could go to drive-in. Family.
0: you got to love a good song about Josephine, don't you, Greg? (laughs) Magnetic Fields, 1991.
1: Why not? I want to go to Material Issue next, the band out of Chicago uh, in the 90s. The first time I met Jim Ellison, he was waiting for me to walk into a bar, and he tapped me on the shoulder, and he says, why haven't you written about my band yet? And I go, who are you, and what is your band? That that was Jim's (laughs) way, yes. And he handed me a single called Renee Remains the Same. It was the first Material Issue single. And, of course, the, you know, woman's name in the song title, right? right? And he ends up writing a lot of songs with women's name in the song titles. In fact, there are four of them on his debut album, the material Issue debut album. Mm-hmm. Um, so, prolific songwriter, but with a kind of an obsessive nature about a certain topic, right? He's, and, and most of the women he was writing about were elusive. He was in love with them, but they didn't know it. Right. Uh, and in fact, the song that I'm about to play, one of the songs from that debut album in 1991, Valerie Loves Me, Valerie is um, obsessing him. At the same time, she's, she's dancing on the ceiling above him, and she's driving on a car down his block, and she has no idea he exists. Meanwhile, he's pining after her, you know, mm-hmm. the whole time. So this notion, being obsessed with somebody who's completely oblivious to your existence, let alone your feelings, is a driving force in a lot of his music. Jim tragically died a few years later, but he left behind this treasure trove of really jangly, great pop rock singles Mm -hmm. with Material Issue. And uh, here's one of the best. Valerie Loves Me from Material Issue on Sound Opinions.
2: Valerie's dancing
1: Valerie loves
0: me. Well, well, not really. You wish she did. Um, well, the, the, the way the production issue. shifts and the vocal sound—he's like screaming it, it, in desperation. Desperation, Valerie yeah. He's uh, he's obsessed. Greg, I'm going to go to the Velvet Underground next. Uh, You know, Lou Reed wrote several songs with women's names in the title. Mm -hmm. Stephanie Says, Caroline Says, that gets remade on Berlin. I'm going to play Candy Says about a pioneering trans woman, the great Candy Darling, part of the Warhol scene surrounding uh, Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground in the 60s. part of the factory scene. Immortalized on film by Andy Warhol. I was worried for half a second when we thought let's do a great list show of songs about women. It's like yep but we are trying to be aware Mm -hmm. of uh, non-binary gender at this point in time and the many variations of people's identities and and I think you know Lou Reed writing with this unparalleled empathy about uh, Candy Says I've come to hate my body and all that it requires Mm. in this world. Um, You know, I've had uh, friends uh, transition, and uh, this is not fad that this is mm-hmm. this is a search to be who you are and the fact that Lou Reed understood that and uh, then turned the song over to Doug Yule right. <laughs> to sing right although Yule sounds like Reed mm-hmm. so it's it, there's so much blurring of identity but I don't think Lou ever showed more empathy and understanding uh, uh, for anyone than he did in this song it was something that came up a lot in the Velvet Underground along with the anger and the fury and the chaos and the the, the louding of of edgy behaviors, and the way that it ends with that chorus of doo-doo-wah, you know, mm-hmm. him going back to his love of street corner doo It's just a beautiful, touching, mm-hmm. wonderful song to Candy Darling. Candy Says by The Velvet Underground.
2: Candy says, I've come to hate my
1: That is a great pick, uh, Jim, and I'm also very fond of uh, you know Lou Reed turned the song over to another singer, Anthony and, and, Anthony, the, and the Anthony and the Johnsons yeah. uh, later on in 2005, I believe it was, and that is an absolutely
0: staggering version of that song. But there's I, no bad version. I read of that. the last live performance that Reed ever gave before his death uh, was joining Antony and Johnson's for Candy Says. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, well, it's a it's it's one of the timeless. Lou Reed songs, among the treasure trove of timeless songs, that's that's very near the top of the list. I want to go to Outkast and uh, and a song named Rosa Parks. Mm. Uh, Rosa Parks, of course, the pioneering civil rights activist. It's interesting that the song only mentions her name in the title, and I'll explain why in a minute. But Rosa Parks, for those of you who don't recall, in 1955, she was the woman who refused to give up her seat to a white person on a bus. And it triggered a 300-day boycott of the bus system organized by Martin Luther King. Uh, Nobody really knew who Rosa Parks was back then. Very few people knew who Martin Luther King was. Mm. But in some ways, people trace the beginning of the civil rights movement to Rosa Parks' defiance on that particular day, standing up for her rights as a human being, having as much right to a seat on a bus as a white person. As anyone else. You know, Oddcast, a band, uh, you know, especially um, Andre 3000, a very thoughtful guy, and he used Rosa's name as a symbol for what, in fact, was still happening to, to black people in this country in, in the 90s when the song appeared on their 1998 Aquemini album. Talking about this notion of black people being taken for granted, not getting a seat at the table, felt the same way about the way outcast was treated in the hip-hop community about the way Atlanta was being treated in the hip-hop community because it wasn't New York or it wasn't Los Angeles and it was dreamed well this is the dirty south it's not really legit so they were trying to establish their own identity and using Rosa Parks as an inspiration Rosa later sued the band for using her name in the song they uh, apparently from what I understand in, in doing some reading on the subject you know, she was upset that they were using swear words. They were using explicit language. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rosa was not a woman to use explicit language. No. There was also some issues that she may have been exploited by people who were trying to use her to get money from outcasts. Uh, she uh, was suffering from the early stages of dementia at that point. And, and she ended up settling in court with the group. But, uh, you know, I believe that Outkast's intentions were clear about this song. They were using Rosa as a powerful symbol uh, for black struggle. She remains so to this day. Rosa Parks by Outcast Unsound opinions. I met a gypsy and she hit me to some light game. To stimulate and activate the left and right brain. Say baby boy, your only phone can add your last cut. You focus on the past, your to be your hands, what that's one to live by or either that's one to die to. I try to just go with at you. Determine your own adventure, Andre. Got to station, my destination. She got off the bus, the conversation, in my head for hours, took a
5: shower, kind of cause my favorite...
0: Rosa Parks by Outcast, outcast out wraps up our songs named after women, and now we want to hear from you. What is your favorite song named after a woman, and why do you love it? Leave us a message on our website, soundopinions.org, so we can play it on the show. If that doesn't generate a couple hundred messages, Greg, I don't know what would. <laughs> Meanwhile, you want to pay tribute to singer Timmy Thomas. I do, Jim. Uh, Timmy Thomas, the
1: uh, keyboardist, singer, producer, and songwriter, died on March 11th at age 77. Evansville, Indiana native, had a long career, Uh, started out as a jazz accompanist with people like Donald Byrd and Cannonball Adderley, was a session musician in Memphis, moved to Miami, and that's where he scored um, his biggest hit, and that's the song I really want to play. The reason I want to do this obituary is this song has resonated through the decades, has been sampled numerous times, has been covered numerous times. Uh, the original is still an extraordinary one-off, I think. In a long career, I hate to reduce Timmy Thomas's career to a song, but this one towers above in so many ways, and such an anomaly in 1972 when it came out, Why Can't We Live Together? Inspired by him watching newscasts at night and the body bags coming back from Vietnam, Walter Cronkite talking about the casualties in Vietnam, and he was just, you know, just taken aback by the the carnage. Why can't we live together? Simple sentiment. Wrote it in 15 minutes. Some of the best songs are written in a flash of inspiration. Mm-hmm. He, uh, as I said, he, he, you know, he's an accomplished musician, uh, but he didn't he didn't go full full on. Let's get the orchestra in here and let's do this thing up right. He he recorded it punk rock style. You know, he sat down at a at a, at a Lowry keyboard, pressed the bossa nova percussion key.
3: You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, played the melody line with one hand, uh, played the bass line on his, on the his foot pedals, uh, and sang it all in one all in one stroke. Um, you know, a nearly two minute instrumental introduction. You know, I mean, breaking all the rules. The song sounded so sparse, so simple and yet it wasn't. It was, it it verged on a sort of a jazzy kind of feel. Uh, There's no way it should have been a gigantic pop single, but it was. It resonated with people, and I remember hearing it as a kid, and it instantly stood out from everything else that was on the radio. You know, it was a top 40 a.m. hit, Mm -hmm. 70s pop radio. I mean, my God, that was like a treasure trove of all this different kind of music, and this sort of stood out amid, amid all that weirdness and off the wall stuff uh, I just thought it was extraordinary and to this day uh, it, it resonates with me uh, so I want to I want to thank Timmy Thomas for <laughs> this song alone I mean what a great career but uh, for this song you know, specifically Tim, this is a little bit of why can't we live together from the late great Timmy Thomas on sound opinions
2: tell me why, tell me why. Mm, why can't Everybody wants to live together Why can't we live together?
0: Why Can't We Live Together by Timmy Thomas, dead at the age of 77. Greg, what do we have on the show next week?
1: Jim, uh, next week, we are going to revisit our interview with Wilco one week after 9-11. Their album, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, was just released as a free download on their website. And
0: that night, Uh, They recorded a sound opinion session, and we're going to play some highlights from that. That was an historic evening, uh, Greg, with Wilco, and we've also got some history on our bonus podcast, an interview with the Ukrainian musician uh, Serge Togny Rodno, making music in the midst of bombs falling in Kiev. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this program belong solely to Sound Opinions and not necessarily to Columbia College Chicago or our sponsors. Thanks, as always, to our Patreon supporters. Sound Opinions is produced by Andrew Gill, Alex Claiborne, our associate producer Sol Delgadillo, and our intern Mary Bernthal. Our social media consultant is Katie Cott.
3: shake,
2: voices escape, singing sad, sad songs, to chords,